This is an interview with Silver Talon on Sunday, August 2nd, 2020, by Nick Burkell. Now, can you each give me an introduction on yourselves, starting with Bryce? Uh, yeah. Hey, I am Bryce Van Heusen. Uh, I play guitar in Silver Talon. Um, used to be in a band called Spellcaster that uh, released a couple albums, um, did some touring across the states. That band broke up. Uh, so, um, yeah, we basically moved on to Silver Talon. Uh, Sebastian was also in Spellcaster at that time and got a new singer by the name of Wyatt Howell. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's really it. I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> Sebastian? Well, let's see. Uh, my name is Sebastian Silva, and uh, I'm also a guitarist in Silver Talon. And as Bryce mentioned, I was also in Spellcaster towards the tail end of the, the band's you know, career. I wasn't in any of the albums. I was the replacement for uh, the guitarist Corey Boyd, but that's how I got to meet Bryce. Actually, we met before because we were in a Lucifer's, like in, we were in a King Diamond tribute band. So that's how we got to know each other, and that's how you know we got started with the whole me being in Spellcaster thing, and one thing led to another, and uh, here we are. Awesome. Now, tell me what's been going on with each of you guys since fall 2018. Yeah, so fall 2018, that was right around when we released the the EP, Becoming a Demon. Um, after that, we did kind of a real sort of bare-bones, full U.S. tour, uh, mostly playing bar shows and things like that. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, after we came back from that, um, pretty much immediately started writing the debut it's called Decadence and Decay, which should be out uh, probably next year, I think, at this point, just when we, whenever we get a little bit past the whole coronavirus business. But uh, yeah, 2019 saw a lot of working on that. Um, it also kind of saw a few lineup changes in Silver Talon. Um, Sebastian had some, some issues getting into the country after uh, touring in Europe with Idle Hands, so... My job during that was basically to kind of find some additional people to keep uh, Silver Talon kind of rolling along and, and playing um, locally and, and making sure that we were able to, to work and stuff like that. So since then, since he's been back, um, essentially we've just been working on this album and then kind of quarantining. Uh, so 2020 has been a little bit of a wash. Last year, we also went on tour with Savage Master for a couple weeks, uh, just kind of down through the American South and the West Coast and all of that kind of stuff. What's it like being a musician in Portland right now? It's interesting because there's, I mean, there's not a lot going on, which is probably the same as most other places. But, of course, there's a lot of civil unrest and things like that that are happening. Um, I mean, literally just down the street from me, um, you know, a couple miles away, or federal paramilitary law enforcement, whatever they're calling themselves, um, kind of enforcing the law of the land, I guess, so to speak. So a lot of uh, helicopters flying overhead and just a general feeling of kind of uncertainty. But uh, it definitely has calmed down since they pulled out. But Sebastian, do, do you have anything to say about being a musician in portland 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's a little tricky. Uh, I think a lot of bands have been, you know, suffering. You know, a lot of the Portland music scene is, you know, they're all very hardworking people. And I think with the whole, you know, losing their jobs and being laid off, I think it's taken a hard hit on them, you know, not being able to, you know, record or tour or, you know, do what they want or like even pay for their jam space or whatnot. But I think there's also a lot of, you know, political turmoil going on. So I think it's going to bring like a spark of inspiration for a lot of bands. And I think we're going to be able seeing like some, you know, Queensryche-esque like Empire songs coming out in a few couple of, you know, years. Can you guys tell me your history with one another? I, I noticed you said a little bit about it, but it's just, uh, just be interested in hearing that. Yeah. So um, like Sebastian said, we uh started playing together in a uh, king diamond merciful fate cover band uh that a bunch of people from spellcaster uh or spellcaster alumni that sort of thing um started and yeah uh so basically brandon who's the bass player in idle hands uh it's a very incestuous kind of <laughs> yes, from, from this so Sebastian replaced Brandon, who's now the bass player in Idle Hands, on guitar. And then after we sort of started building that rapport and playing together, uh, Corey Boyd, who is also now the guitar player in Idle Hands, had quit uh, Spellcaster. So Sebastian replaced him. And then uh, I think we did, a, we did a tour. We did an A-single tour probably in the beginning, January of 2017. Yeah, 2017, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and then uh, after that, Spellcaster ended and Silver Talon and Idle Hands started. And it sort of felt like a very natural progression. Uh, other than that, I mean, we're both, from, uh, we're both from Oregon City. We didn't necessarily go to high school at the same time, but uh, we went to the same high school. And... I think our our first jobs were uh, mutually working at uh, Carl's Jr. Save Carl's Jr. Yeah. <laughs> awesome! I love Carl's Jr. Now, um, <laughs> this album has a much more mature and focused personality to it than Becoming a Demon. Can you fill me in on what was going on as you were writing the majority of the album? I mean, so Gabe Franco, who was the bass player for Spellcaster, uh, you know, singer, songwriter for Idle Hands, he helped me write a lot of the of the songs. I think like three out of five of them for Becoming a Demon. So a lot of it, I think, was us just kind of trying to force ideas together um, up until we sort of realized that, you know, maybe we're better <laughs> songwriters independently of each other. After he left, it was basically just kind of left to, to me to kind of put everything together. So arrangement-wise, I mean, I would say I did the bulk of it and, um, you know, just basically kind of soliciting riffs from people and, and things like that. Like, hey, Sebastian, you got anything? Like, send something over and I'll, you know, flesh something out with it. So we did that and... Um, yeah, I think it was just a lot of me kind of figuring out how best to put that, um, to put songs together, really. So it was a lot of, um, you know, like when you're a little kid and like, I don't know if you're, you're like playing a game or you're coming up with stories or something like that. It really kind of felt like that. It was that whole vibe again, where it was just like, all right, blank canvas, let's, uh, let's just start putting stuff together and, you know, taking bits and pieces from everybody and just making it into a, 
uh, a thing, a song, a musical story. So yeah, not not really a big change other than it was kind of just a more independent thing, I guess, if you will. Did you use Zach Owen to record your new album, Decadence and Decay? Yeah, so same same crew as was on Becoming a Demon did uh, did Decadence and Decay. So Zach does all of the instruments um, and then mixes everything, and we record vocals with Gabe Johnson here in Portland. Dude, I'm in love with Divine Fury for all the crazy arpeggios in it. Whose baby was that? And tell me how you came up with the song. Also, like, how many people contributed to it? I think that was one that I did myself, I believe. So I kind of just put that together. Um, and then, you know, of course, working with um, our, our new drummer, Michael Thompson. He was really excited about that song. So he, uh, he put a lot of effort into kind of coming up with like really interesting drum parts and kind of making that whole thing flow together really well. But uh, yeah, I think I was just listening to a lot of, you know, obviously like neoclassical stuff like Ingve. whenever he throws in these little um, references to, to classical songs and things like that. So at the very beginning of it, you know, you have kind of like a, a Bach piece um, that I sort of transposed and kind of made cross a couple keys and things like that. And then from there, I kind of wanted to go into something that was a little bit reminiscent i think of the thrashier side of dissection of course meets some kind of like symphony x and children of bodom kind of stuff now sebastian what was a song that you composed that you were really really proud of um i did contribute to the the main riff in the song resistance i remember that one uh, well before the whole me leaving you know on europe and like not coming back for a long time I was really trying to, you know, get started as a songwriter or like even try to like come up and, you know, with some riffs or ideas because I've like always had like, you know, these two cool like mentors like, you know, Gabe and Bryce, like, you know, they're always doing like these cool songwriting ideas. And I'm like, like, maybe I can, you know, try to, you know, get my own ideas in there and see what's up. And uh, the, the song Resistance came about, I, I wrote like this periphery-ish style riff. And then I sent it over to Bryce and then Bryce, you know, took it from there and he made like this just super cool, like super energetic song. I think that one, along with Divine Fury, has just been like some of my favorites from the, the and it's just, it's great, great stuff. Yeah, that, that riff that is on uh, Resistance, that main one, I think is probably my favorite riff on the whole album. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, Bryce spoke about experimenting with different arpeggio voicings for the last album have either of you studied any new techniques to make some of the songs on this album really shine i think time signatures is something that we both have probably been messing around with yeah sebastian sent me that the the riff for resistance and there's just kind of like some some weird sort of like five four stuff just kind of thrown in there so that sort of got me thinking about you know various different uh different ways to sort of break out of the 4-4 box um and you can you can really use different time signatures and things like that to you know how you have certain intervals or something that kind of want to you know they have different um emotions with them some feel a little bit more unsteady some of them feel like you know uh we're gonna resolve or you know they feel like coming home they feel safe that sort of thing 
I think the time signatures have a lot of that as well. So if you play something in kind of an odd time signature, like 5-4 or 7-4 or 7-8 or something like that, it feels really unstable because the beat is not at an even place in relation to, to 4. Experimenting with that, you can really kind of create a sense of tension and unease just in the simple fact that you know, the, the riff isn't repeating or resolving necessarily where you think it's going to. Okay, now, Next to the Sun really gives off a, a great Southwestern vibe, almost like it could be on a soundtrack to a cowboy movie. Uh, where were you when this song was uh, composed? Oddly enough, this one was left over from the, um, from the Becoming a Demon uh, sessions, I guess, if you will. I mean, I... Th- I remember sending that over to the guys and um, everybody kind of discussing and talking about it and, and stuff like that, like kind of around the time when we recorded Becoming a Demon in 2018. I don't remember why it didn't end up on the EP. Maybe it just didn't feel like it was uh, at a correct spot or properly fleshed out or whatever. But yeah, uh, a lot of that that intro piece with the acoustic guitars and stuff like that, a lot of that's inspired by like Al Miola's work that he did with uh, Paco De Lucia and John McLaughlin, I, th- I think. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with oh, the song uh, it Mediterranean Sun, Mediterranean Sunrise. God, what is it called? Uh, but the one that's on Elegant Gypsy, uh, where it's... Al Miola and Paco de Lucia basically just kind of riffing and playing some sort of like Spanish-inspired riffs and, and things like that. Um, so a lot of that came from that. With Touch the Void, you're pulling audio from a recitation of the Enochian airs. What has been the most supernatural thing that's happened to you guys? Mm, that's a tough one. <laughs> I don't know. Do we have any supernatural stories, Bryson? <laughs> Man, yeah, I mean, there are some that, like, like weird coincidences and some stuff that uh, maybe I don't necessarily want to get into, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I we mean, did visit the uh, Exorcist steps at one time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we did that. Uh, nobody nobody fell off and, and died or anything. It just seems like there's been a lot of different coincidences and things like sort of working out in a very interesting way with uh with silver talon sometimes things that you'll plan for don't necessarily happen or you'll be thrown sort of a <clears throat> a curveball or something like that if you will but in the end it's always like oh okay well that happened kind of for the best you know like uh i mean for instance like sebastian not being able to get back into the, the states which was uh, terrible terrible experience and um super stressful for for us here and i'm sure it was extremely stressful for sebastian having to deal with all that bullshit and being stranded in uh fucking the netherlands for like a day or a week or however long you were there (laughs) Um, that whole process kind of got us to pull our third guitar player Devin, into the fold so it's like now we have kind of i feel like a a stronger sort of unit and that's not something that would have necessarily happened had that kind of bad situation went down i agree that yeah definitely like you know bringing Devin into the band was just like 
it's something that like you know we weren't like expecting but like at the end it worked out so great like having three guitarists and it's like super unique because you know besides iron maiden like i don't know who else has like three guitarists you know like and it's pretty cool because then we can just cover like lots of ground with like so many guitar parts and it'll be great you know it's gonna be awesome important question how do you guys feel about ballads yes or no and why I mean, uh, I love ballads. We we have a a ballad on the on the album, and some of the songs get kind of slower, sort of ballady, kind of kind of territory, that sort of thing. So, if they're done right, they're cool. If they're just total like you know, cheese dick love songs or whatever, then <laughs> that's that's not super interesting to me. But there's a lot of. Uh, you know, in music, we're trying to express a full range of emotions, so a ballad serves a certain purpose. It can't just be all, you know, thrashing, powerful riffs. I mean, it can, but, you know, that's, <laughs> not, that's not everything that uh, humans are, are feeling on a day-to-day basis, I guess. <laughs> Sebastian? Yeah, I think uh, music... I mean, balance in music is definitely, you know, needed. Like, you know, Bryce said, you can't just be, you know, super thrashy or speedy all the time. And I think with with this new album, there's a lot of, uh, you know, bases that the album and the music is touching. So I think that there's going to be a little bit for everyone to, you know, to grab onto. And I think everyone's going to like it. It's just a wide variety of, you know, a lot of different sounds mixed together. Like, you know, like how you were saying, like Bryce was experimenting with a lot of stuff and the overall, you know, sound of the album is just phenomenal. It's it's a lot of great work that he put into it. Fill me in on the current lineup, and where were you when you realized that having three guitarists would work for you guys? Um, yeah, so the current lineup is uh, myself, Sebastian, and our singer Wyatt, all original members. All of us played on the Becoming Demon EP, you know, based on circumstances sort of beyond our control at the time Devin was basically added just to kind of we had some we had some shows and some commitments booked and and things like that that uh Sebastian couldn't be a part of so we sort of needed a fill-in guy um so Devin fit that role uh he was in another band in Portland called Saboteur and so then after that we got uh, Walter, who was our bass player. He was introduced via a friend of a friend and uh, auditioned and, and sent in a little demo tape of him playing some songs and uh, really, really dug his style. It was kind of like a mix between doing kind of like some Steve Harris, Iron Maiden stuff and then kind of some more like jazzy kind of just real experimental like slap bass kind of playing. Uh, so I was super into it. Um, and then... Michael Thompson, who's our drummer, he was the uh, he was a friend of Devin, so that's how I was introduced to him. And uh, yeah, he's great. He's been in a lot of like black and death metal bands in the in the Portland area. Insofar as having three guitarists and realizing that that was a good idea, we realized that Devin brought a lot to the table when he was just kind of being a fill-in guy. So he's a he's a great backup vocalist as well, and he actually does a lot of uh, backup singing on the on the record, which has really sort of expanded the the sound, I guess. You know, having three guitar players, it 
it lets you experiment with adding, you know, more harmonies and things like that without necessarily sacrificing an underlying sort of rhythm sound, um, especially when playing live. So, you know, if I'm writing a part and I'm recording it with like three guitars, if you're if you're in a band and there's only two guitar players, you're obviously like, you know, well, what part of this are we going to sacrifice live? But with three guitar players, I mean, you can make it sound uh, exactly like that, like like it is on the record, as well as just sort of having a, you know, an overall more forceful rhythm section for the rest of it. So, tell me about that first song working as a six-person lineup. Well, we all got together and we basically just rehearsed for you know the first show that we were going to play as a as a six-piece, which was in Seattle last year. And, you know, obviously I was maybe a little bit hesitant, like, oh, man, how, how is this going to sound? Um, I'd never played with three guitar players all kind of playing the same thing at once. <laughs> yeah, neither have I. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we were all just kind of like, well, how's this going to go? Like, sounds cool in theory. Iron Maiden does it. But, yeah, I mean, once we started jamming and we kind of just started running through the set and stuff like that, it was like, oh, okay, this is, this is pretty cool. This is going to work out well. It's more been a matter of basically just kind of pulling out pieces that each individual person can do insofar as like what was written for the album. Because honestly, when we we're writing the album, it was like a two guitar player kind of thing. So but then once it got time to, you know, laying down leads, I mean, everybody's throwing solos in there. So there's there's so many freaking solos. Uh, <laughs> so, so that was fun to like just kind of pull apart different sections like, all right. Sebastian, you go here. Okay, Devin, you go here. All right, I'll go here. That's uh, <laughs> that's super fun. What are your three favorite albums that feature three guitarists? I don't that's think that's tough. I don't think there's many. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like uh, Iron Maiden's like comeback album, like Brave New World, that has three guitar players technically. That's with that uh, that lineup. That's a good one. Sebastian Periphery has three guitar players too, don't they? Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. And they have like no basis, I think. Oh, shit. Okay. Which is weird, but yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, I think if I, was to, if I was to say, I think the periphery, I think, uh, what's it? I think the select difficulty or whatever that, that one is, I think periphery three. I think that was my favorite out of them three. But yeah, it's very hard to find bands that have three guitarists. I know Except uh, has three guitar players now. So we might be adding to that list of albums of gratuitous uh, <laughs> guitar players in bands. Nice. <laughs> How did you guys get on M3 M Theory Audio and what kind of plans do you got once the album is out? Uh yeah, so that is um M Theory Audio that's started by Marco Barbieri who um he used to be I believe the president at Century Media kind of during the the 90s and then he left and then came back and did that for for a long time and so he once they were bought by sony uh i think one thing kind of just led to another and he sort of just started his own record label and he uh basically decided like i'm gonna i'm gonna sign kind of some some smaller bands that i think are doing cool stuff uh you know the kind of bands that I maybe would have want to sign, wanted to have signed back during the Century Media days, but couldn't for one re reason or another. 
so we had been we've been trying to get kind of on his radar for a while uh, as spellcaster um, because he's also a, a manager as well. Um, so we were looking to have him manage us. So he would come out and watch a few spellcaster shows whenever we played in Vegas, that sort of thing. Once we started Silver Talon and, you know, he kind of just started talking to us and uh, was like, oh, okay, you know, what kind of, you got a label, you're doing everything yourself, you know, what's what's your plan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, basically we just got started with him and um, he cut us basically what is, you know, essentially it's kind of like a, a hybrid sort of like licensing record deal where... You know, basically, we retain all of the rights to the album, but uh, we get the benefit of their, uh, you know, marketing and distribution and uh, insight and all that kind of stuff. So that seems like a, a really good deal because most record labels will give you a loan of maybe like five, six thousand dollars, and then they own your your work for all eternity on every single planet in the known universe, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So yeah. Um, as far as as far as plans for when it comes out, I mean, it's really really hard to say because uh, I think everything is just so up in the air as far as touring and live support and things like that go. Um, I mean, I, I don't think anybody really knows when we're going to be on the other side of this pandemic. I'm seeing some tours kind of be announced for like. Like mid 2021 yeah 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 like like march 2021 or something like that and i'm just like ah, unless there's a vaccine i don't see that happening so yeah it all still seems very risky it's it almost seems like anything before june 2021 it's like taking a risk like a very big risk especially how things are going over here in the u.s yeah exactly so um you know the plan is we're we're gonna kind of release this sort of um piecemeal if you will so we'll kind of release some singles and things like that and uh just kind of try to get back sort of in front of people you know hopefully once the world is sort of ready to start opening up for live entertainment and stuff like that we'll be on the uh the short lists of a few people to get kind of some some national touring spots and support and things like that that's the hope at least can you tell me about your craziest adventure as a band together as silver talent craziest thing i'm just trying to think uh well there there was that one time in uh in philadelphia on our fort on our oh yeah yeah so we're we're playing to like a handful of people there's not it was kind of a last minute show so not a lot of people were there so we're we're doing kind of like our our final god was it our last song i think it was yeah, because no, it, it, yeah, our last song was, I think, Power Rising. Yeah, Power Rising. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, cover of the, the Spellcaster song from uh, Under the Spell, Power Rising. And so our, our fog machines are going off, and uh, the power, it all just goes out. The whole bar, everything just goes black. And then pretty soon the, the fire department is, like, showing up, and they're walking through the crowd in their, you know, fireman uniforms and all this kind of stuff like oh where's the fire so yeah our fog machine set off the fire alarm the fire department had to come uh basically restore power to the bar all of that kind of stuff um man on that first tour that kept happening we also played another one in um shit that place in ohio 
I Oh yeah, yeah, it happened there too. Yeah, they had like this weird like emergency door that uh just came down in the middle of our set and like wouldn't go back up. <laughs> Nobody could figure out how to get it back in. <laughs> that that was kind of rough. Man, what else happened that tour? Oh yeah, and we played this place in um in New Mexico uh, or Florida? No. I don't think we played Florida that time, but the the place in Keokuk. Oh my god, the 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 rock rock dock. Yeah. <laughs> That was that was weird. So that they was wild. Up, like, inside of this building where like a bunch of people were supposed to be out on this lawn and they're kind of like watching us through these windows. So I sort of felt like I don't know if you've ever been to like uh, like Europe or Amsterdam or whatever when they have like the, the red light district or whatever and they have like the, the girls dancing in front of the windows and things like that. Um, <laughs> that's sort of what it felt like. Except we were the girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it was also very cold. I remember because outside when the people were standing, there was like uh, like heaters. And it was very, very cold because it was just really hard to play that time. We had a, we had a, we had a band, uh, Speedclaw, from Europe that obviously couldn't get into the country. So we had to basically play an extended set. So we played like 30 minutes of cover songs that we just rehearsed before the actual show. So it was... Uh, yeah, a lot of uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus of Judas Priest breaking the law and things like that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we also did like a lot of spellcaster stuff that we hadn't done in a long time, like you and I. And it was it was cool too because like our bass, like our feeling bassist Noah at the time, he like listened to this like the stuff and he like learned it all in like one day. Like <laughs> it was it was crazy. We're pretty professional, so not a lot of like uh, like crazy, unprofessional stuff goes down. So maybe not Motley Crue, the dirt level uh, stuff. That was more Spellcaster's bag. Final words. Uh, yeah, thanks for the interview. Um, keep an eye out for Decadence and Decay to be out sometime in the near future if uh, the world doesn't completely end before then. Um, and I'm... I'm Really excited to, to get this out and to have everybody hear it. And we're very much looking forward to playing it as a six piece. <laughs> the first show was like the trial run and it just it was amazing what we were able to do live. So we're gonna bring it hard and heavy. <laughs> Absolutely. This has been an interview with Silver Talent on Sunday, August second, twenty twenty by Nick Perkel. <laughs>